In this week's market update, the Bank of England's interest rate dilemma, the US bumps up against the debt ceiling again, and earnings season draws to an encouraging close. From a domestic perspective, there really is only one story this week. After last week's rate hikes from the Federal Reserve and the ECB, it's the Bank of England's turn in the spotlight. The result of this week's rate-setting meeting will be known on Thursday. The smart money is very clearly on rates rising for a 12th consecutive time this week to 4.5%, the highest level since 2008, when rates tumbled in the wake of the financial crisis. This was by no means a foregone conclusion after the last meeting in March, when the bank said it would continue to watch out for further evidence of inflationary pressures. Well, it didn't have long to wait. The data for March showed that far from dipping into single digits, as expected, inflation in the UK has stuck above 10%. The nightmare scenario of slowing growth and simultaneous high inflation, the so-called stagflation we got used to in the 1970s, looks all too likely. In reality, the Bank of England is caught on the horns of a dilemma, because while inflation is stubbornly high today, the expectation remains that the headline rate will indeed fall away sharply this year on the back of lower energy prices. The spot price of natural gas is now 82 pence a therm, less than half its assumption as recently as February. And petrol prices are a quarter lower than at their peak last year. This will help household incomes considerably and support the ability of companies to push through price rises. That, in turn, could lead to what the bank calls second-round effects, what's also known as a wage-price spiral. This is what haunts central bankers, the prospect of rising prices leading to higher wage demands, leading to higher prices, and so on. This is how inflation becomes entrenched. What is likely is that the messaging from the Bank of England will change this week to become more data-dependent, recognising that it's not done a great job of flagging up the future direction of travel for interest rates. Ever since rates started rising from their low point of 0.1% in December 2021, the bank has consistently suggested that they would not rise too high, and it's been consistently wrong on that front. The expectation now is that while the Fed has probably finished its tightening cycle, the bank still has a way to go and that rates could be 5% at the end of the year. And that then raises the question of whether the bank has gone too far, causing an unnecessary recession, or not gone far enough, failing to bring inflation back to its long-term target of 2%. The recession question will start to be answered on Friday, when the initial estimate of first quarter GDP is due to be announced. Another hint of the health of the economy was provided this morning by the Halifax House Price Index, which showed a 0.3% decline between March and April reversing a three-month rally at the start of this year. Important as the Bank of England's decision is for us here in the UK, it's less so when looking at the markets from a global perspective. On that broader canvas, the message from the first four months is more positive, a combination of hopes for a peak in the US interest rate cycle and better-than-expected earnings from the now largely completed first quarter earnings season. With earnings now around 85% done, roughly four in five companies have beaten expectations by a pretty satisfactory 7% or so. The expected high single digits fall in earnings in the first three months of the year now looks like being more of a flat performance and sets the year up to be less negative overall than feared. 
In other words, if interest rates do peak now and start to come down, and if earnings trend sideways, then the hoped-for soft landing may really be achievable. And that, in turn, could set the scene for investors to start looking through the modest slowdown to better times ahead. The US market is not starting from a particularly attractive valuation at about 18 times forecast earnings, but it could edge higher if history is any guide. And other markets, notably Europe, the UK, Japan and emerging markets, are considerably cheaper and could therefore be the major beneficiaries of the Fed's apparently deft handling of its tightening cycle. In part, that story is already playing out in stock market movements year to date. In the first four months of the year, the S&P 500 rose by around 9%, but it was easily beaten by the 15% gain for European shares. In large part, this is being driven by relative earnings. Europe lagged the pandemic recovery, held back by last year's invasion of Ukraine, but it's catching up now, and where earnings go, the stock market tends to follow. Another interesting feature of the first four months of the year has been the outperformance of gold. In some ways, this has been unexpected because gold should not do well in an environment of rising interest rates, which makes alternative investments like bonds more attractive. What gold, and even more dramatically Bitcoin, seem to be pointing to is an environment ahead of so-called financial repression, where interest rates are kept lower than the inflationary backdrop would seem to suggest is appropriate. If the markets are right in their expectation that US interest rates will fall from here, And if this feeds through into a weaker dollar and lower real inflation-adjusted yields, then gold could easily push through to new record highs from here. Meanwhile, however, two other clouds continue to hang over US markets. First, the banking crisis refuses to go away, despite an apparent easing in tensions either side of the weekend, as PacWest Bancorp, the latest regional bank in the spotlight for the wrong reasons, rallied hard after cutting its dividend and reassuring investors. Second, President Joe Biden finds himself in the eye of yet another debt ceiling storm, as America's bipartisan rivalry continues to play itself out in the highest risk arena of all, the US bond market. Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, has warned that the US could be unable to pay its bills as soon as the 1st of June, unless Congress votes to raise the US's debt ceiling. This is a mechanism designed to prevent the US from allowing its borrowings to spiral out of control, but which in reality tends to become a political football every few years in which Republicans and Democrats fight out their differing tax and spend policies. The fact is that it's extremely unlikely that the US would default on its bonds, but US Treasuries underpin pretty much the whole global financial system, so just the threat of a default is enough to spook investors. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile 
volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.